Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and today's episode of the podcast is one of two that was recorded prior to me being unexpectedly pushed into duty as the head basketball coach at Ada High School last winter. And uh, because of the way the season played out, I just didn't get these episodes published, and I apologize for that. Mostly, I apologize to Coach Krause. Dave Krause was my guest for this episode, and uh, those of you who are Northwest Ohio people, uh, Dave doesn't need really an introduction. The longtime coach at Patrick Henry High School. Uh, and, and even more recently, uh, a fairly lengthy time as, as an assistant at the University of Finley. Uh, Dave has a wealth of experience, great stories, amazing knowledge, and it was gracious enough to share some time with me for today's podcast. So I hope you enjoy my visit with Coach Dave Krause. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and welcome to this episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Can't tell you how excited I am today. Um, this has been a, a couple of weeks in the making, and uh, some things have happened here recently that mean I may not be doing a lot more podcasts, so this may be my last uh, recording for a while, and, and uh, by the time you guys hear this, we'll be probably well into the start of the high school season, but uh, that's part of the reason that I, uh, I am glad to have my, my guest today, Dave Krause, longtime high school basketball coach at Patrick Henry High School, and and for those who maybe weren't around the area, you know, 15 or 18 or 20 years ago, uh, Dave's become a, a staple at the University of Finley as an assistant there as well and just finished his 12th season at the University of Finley. And, Coach, I guess we can call it a second retirement. Does that sound fair? That's very fair. Oh, and, and so let's – you know, I don't want to drag things out. I You know, I, I had the good fortune of having having your brother on and talk to him as, as a part of the podcast and, um, you know, I said this to a lot of guests. I, I don't remember when you and I met. It just feels like I've always known you. Um, and, and I didn't didn't know your brother quite as well and was glad to have him on. But you, you guys obviously played together in high school. You share a lot of the same experiences. But what I'm real curious about is, is if you had – what was it that drew you to coaching at a young age? I know you guys played yeah. for, for Steve Kick in high school. But you guys were both multi-sport guys and, and, and coached other sports, I believe. Well, and not only that, we both went collegiately and played uh, baseball in college, you know, so we had the baseball gene uh, uh, through and through, that was for sure, but as you mentioned, uh, certainly we, we were uh, multi-sport guys, you know, I, I think, you know, schools back in those days, you know, we're talking the 70s now, John, we're going way back, and, you know, a lot of kids were three sports athletes, you know, your small schools particularly needed those three sports you know, athletes to play three sports to, to prosper and, and to have success and share athletes. And, and that really never changed uh, throughout my entire tenure coaching at the high school level. We needed athletes who were multi-sport athletes. But, um, you know, was there a given when I can pinpoint? i tell you what, I, I got bit with the basketball bug very early. Um, my, obviously, my dad was an uh, educator, uh, administrator, but he coached early on in his, in his career had a successful run at Hogate uh, in Henry County here, uh, took his team to the state tournament in 1953. And uh, they were juniors that year. I, he always, I always go through his scrapbooks, and I loved doing that as a young kid. And I knew I, was, I could name the starting guys right now from this 53 and 54 Hogate Tigers. And, and uh, you know, in 54, they, they got beat in the districts. You know, they had their number one team to stay all year long. So I guess, you know, I – I just, I, for both of us, it was there for us to, to, to have and, and to learn from him, number one. But then we just were fortunate, man. We just, we just were able to have great high school coaches in all three sports. Uh, you know, that was, that was a, a big blessing as well. And, 
when you move through your high school career, you point back to any specific thing from any of those three coaches that you kind of filed away as, as I definitely want to do it this way when I become a coach? Well, they all had their strengths. You know, Steve Kick, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, he's, he's still a, a great mentor and friend now today. Uh, talk to him, you know, periodically, and he's doing well living down in Loudonville. But uh, Coach Kirk was an unbelievable teacher. Uh, I just loved how he handled the classroom. You know, just uh, I couldn't wait for his class period to start. He was a government teacher. Uh, I ended up teaching history and government myself. So, man, I tell you what, he related to everybody. He, I don't care who you were in the school. He knew your name. He called you by name. And, and he made everybody feel special. And I just liked his rapport and relationship with people. I just, I just thought that was... Uh, the way to go, and I, I, I really thought that was, you know, what his strength was. Obviously, he was a great basketball coach as well. Uh, coach Bahala, we had in football, just an unbelievable motivator. Coach Parrott, long, long-time staple in Northwest Ohio baseball circle. So, uh, and then we had Lynn Martin. Lynn Martin becomes, uh, he was our assistant coach. Lynn Martin becomes a established basketball coach on his own at Van Buren when he left Patrick Henry. And so we just really had a, a bevy of, of, of great coaches. Well, it certainly sounds like it. And I, I shared with, with Doug when we spoke that I grew up hearing about Steve Kick. My mom was a cheerleader when Steve Kick was the basketball coach at Upper Soda Valley. And and uh, it, what, what I'm always struck by is, and, it, and it's not as common, I don't think, Dave, as it used to be, but the guys that played for Steve when they were at Upper Soda Valley, I grew up with their sons. And, and, and so, you know, my dad graduated right before Coach Kick arrived, but my mom was there and all of my friends, you know, fathers, the, the reverence with which they speak of Coach Kick and his willingness to come back. He came back and spoke at the banquet when Upper Soda Valley won their their two state titles in the same year in 94. He's come back to be recognized for, you know, anniversaries of his of his good teams at Upper Soda Valley. And, and two things stand out to me. One is. He just seems to be a genuine person who's got a, a real connection to and a passion for the people that he's coached, whoever they are. And then, like I said, I, I just I'm struck by the reverence and the the, the level of devotion uh, that his former players and former students show for him. Um, it's just it's just not that way for everybody, Dave. Well, again, he ain't that way. You know, it's uh, Steve Kick with different things he did about it and but you know he he uh he had a red about way about him too you know we were on the bench and if the game was in hand at the end of the game he would reach into his coat pocket and pull out a toothpick and that was his victory toothpick you know uh we'd get off a school bus after a um a bus trip and coming home and we won the game and you know he he pretend he's walking off the bus and he he'd just stop and he'd take that toothpick out of his mouth and he goes fellas how sweet it is. Yep. Yeah, just kind of things like that. You remember <laughs> that uh, he, he just uh, was a real important gentleman in my life. And uh, like I said, uh, you know what? You know, we, we continue to have some relationships. Uh, you know, I got involved uh, through Coach Kick because he was involved in the State Coach Association. He he kind of said, "Hey, you got to you got to do this. You could you could get involved in this." And lo and behold, uh, 1970-97, uh, Steve Kick gets inducted into the Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame, and it just so happened I was the president of the association then, and it was my job on that night to introduce him into the Hall of Fame, and that was still one of the most precious memories I have uh, of coaching. That's that certainly is a special one, no question about it. 
And, and so when you have the kind of influences that you did from your dad to your other coaches growing up, coming through high school, when you headed off to college, did you go off to college with the intent of, of coaching? Did you know it would be basketball? Was it just the idea that you wanted to coach something? Or did you did you know what you wanted to do when you headed off to college? Uh, absolutely, I did. I was going to be an educator. I was going to teach social studies. And I was going to be a, a coach. And basketball was, was what I was looking to do, uh, John. Uh, but I, like I said earlier, I went and played baseball, got money to play baseball at Kent State. So that was a great opportunity uh, to, to help me with my education and get that paid for. Um, you know, if you know anything about collegiate baseball, Kent State's a powerhouse uh, uh, in the MAC and Northern Baseball today. Unfortunately, uh, back in the day, uh, that, that wasn't the case. But uh, I had a great four-year uh, playing career there. But really what Kent offered me um, – my last two years, um, I became friends with a, a neighboring uh, high school coach. And um, as a matter of fact, Mike Uline, when he met, when you had him on your podcast, I heard his, his discussion. He, he coached at Rootstown yeah. at, uh, and in one of his early jobs. And that's the school I'm talking about. I did my student teaching at Rootstown. And in my last two years at Kent, John, I was the freshman basketball coach. And that just got me going. You know, I was – I was a junior and senior in college, uh, coaching freshman basketball at Riftstown, and I, I, I was hooked. Well, and again, you're, you're preaching to the choir on a lot of things you said. I, I was a guy who, in about the eighth grade, knew I wanted to be a basketball coach. And at that time, I was young and thought, well, if I'm going to be a basketball coach, that means i got to teach something. And I'm really bad, really bad at math, and I'm really bad at science, and I don't want to grade all those English papers, so I think I'll teach history. <laughs> and 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 that, that was the route that I ch I chose to go as well. But when when you get that experience in coaching, I mean, anybody that's listening to the podcast that that does coach or has coached, there's just no denying that when when the bug bites you, it bites you, and it's not something that you can rid yourself of very easily. Uh, sometimes I think the guys that do rid themselves of it might be the lucky ones, but I'm, I'm not so sure all the time that, that that's the case. But so you spent those two years coaching, you know, freshman basketball. Uh, what was graduation like for you in terms of the job hunt? Did you were you able to find work right away? Were you able to find work that connected to coaching basketball right away? How did all that play out when you got done with college? Well, uh, the year I graduated from college, uh, that following summer, we went ahead. Uh, my wife, uh, we got married uh, early August, and three weeks later, we moved to the. Uh, Crawford County. Uh, I got a teaching and coaching job at Colonel Crawford. That's where I started my initial uh, three years there, uh, where I was uh, I taught and also was the um, head baseball coach as well as freshman basketball coach. So I did get uh, coaching both right off the get go. You know, I'm just I'm kind of shaking my head here, I, and I don't like to talk about myself during the podcast, but you there's a lot of parallels here. When I when I graduated from Ohio Northern. Uh, the first job that I got offered was the, was the coach freshman basketball and teach history at Colonel Crawford. Um, I, ac I actually accepted the job. And it, when I accepted it, the principal said, great, we're glad to have you. But he said, our treasurer is on vacation for two weeks and we'll have to sign your contract when, when the treasurer gets back. And so I went on vacation. I, I went, took off with my brother. We took a trip down south. And while I was on that trip down south, like in the middle of, of the, the week that we were gone, I got a call from the athletic director at Ada, and she said, hey, our basketball coach just resigned. You need to get back here and apply for this job. And and, and I go back, and I 
was mulling it over. And my dad, of course, is saying, look, you gave those people at Colonel Crawford your word. You, you, that's, this decision has been made for you. I said, Dad, I got a chance to be a head coach. I don't have to move. I've already got my apartment. I, you know, I, I just coached the JVs there. I know all the kids. And my dad said, the decision has been made. You gave Colonel Crawford your word. And I don't know if he ever, for, I don't know if he ever forgave me, but I took the aid of job instead. <laughs> well, Crawford was a great opportunity for me. It's like anytime you had somebody's paying to something and uh, you enjoy what you do. And, and uh, like I said, it was a great beginning spot for me. I was there for three years. I was a freshman basketball coach for two years. And then the third year I did bump up into the JV job. But, you know, the thing I did uh, from the get go, yeah, that first summer after my first teaching year, a couple of things stand out that I remember uh, that kind of, Kept me, kept me going. Number one, um, I, I was applying for head jobs. I, I knew I was, I wanted to be a head coach, so I applied for any and every job I could that that would hire a, a first year freshman coach type of a thing. And I just told myself, I'm doing it for experience only. I don't think I'm ready for a head job. If I get offered, I don't think I'd take it. I just need experience on how to, to apply and interview and present myself and. You know, that was my motive at that point. I did that for two summers and, and uh, really came close to a few jobs. But again, I knew I wasn't ready yet, and I knew I wasn't ready yet. And um, after the third year, um, you know, that was pretty much when I decided, okay, I think I think I can go maybe go get a job at some point. And I, I, th- I thought I was, you know, I'd kind of give myself a good background at that point. Well, and, Dave, if we've got young coaches that listen to the podcast, and I think we do have some uh, – I think you just said something right there that's interesting that you, you start pursuing those jobs for the interview experience and for people who maybe aren't that familiar with it or, or, or haven't given a lot of thought, talk a little bit about specifically what you gain from an interview that, that you, that you can only get in going through the process. Well, you know, you, Interviews, every school has their own process and, and everybody has uh, a way they do things. So I was exposed to, and I think I had in those two years initially, I think I was involved at four different times. And so I saw a whole bunch of different formats, you know, was, you know, the, the, the type of questions you're getting, you're getting used to the, 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 the timelines involved and, and more importantly, preparing yourself from a, uh, Present um, presentation point. You know, the the paperwork that I brought with me, or I sent in as a resume type booklet that presented my ideas and concepts and philosophies. And you know, I was getting that you know better and and, and presenting myself that way. And and uh, so through that whole thing, that's that's pretty much what I did. And 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 I think it really helped me. Dave, I, and I've always been a believer in, in in this. I you know, it's not necessary to go through interviews after you've been uh, established in your career, but I always felt like essentially anytime I did have to go through an interview process, it really forced me to evaluate the stuff that I was preparing and evaluate uh, the, the job that, that I was doing. I, I think it's a good way to self-reflect and the interview process kind of forces that upon you. But when you talk about that preparing and getting your philosophies and, and, and things on paper to present at an interview, can you speak to the value when you're going into an interview as, as a guy who's never been a, a basketball head coach, speak to the value of, of having been a head baseball coach and how that maybe made you a little bit more appealing for a guy that didn't have that basketball experience yet. Well, I think, I think that was certainly an advantage, you know, the fact that I had a lot of program I had to do all the organization, you know, prepare my staff, uh, you know, just the whole, the whole things that head coaches do, you know, dealing with, you know, parents and, and being responsible and, 
and uh, doing scheduling and working with your AD on budgeting and, and all those things were certainly, uh, you know, even though it was a different sport, still was they carry over. You know, they're still athletic, you know, it's athletic related, and and uh, it was it was very helpful in preparing me uh, to do that. Uh, I think a second thing, John, that I started doing early. Um, I started working camps every summer, and I—I I don't know. Unfortunately, this day and age, you know, the, the camps are all team focused. So, you know, back in those days, uh, every college campus had a another players camp, and yeah, as a young coach, that's where I was spent my summer. I was go, I was going away for four or five weeks a summer, and and uh, you know, I'll never forget uh, the very first summer. Uh, after my second year, I, I got, a, I don't know how I ain't got invited, but I applied for the Ohio State basketball camp. And, and lo and behold, Elder Miller's staff hired me to work their camp. And boy, that was just an unbelievable year. I was a, you know, just a little old freshman coach out of Crawford County. And here I'm working with, you know, Elder Miller and his staff in, in St. John Arena. And boy, it was like, I was like in heaven. Well, and again, I think the whole camp scene, obviously the networking piece is really important, but I've said this to a lot of younger coaches too, is, you know, networking is important, but if you're going to go to the trouble of going to a camp and network, you better make sure you show them how hard of a worker you are while you're there too. Well, the networking was great, but, you know, I, I continued to work there for a number, number of years, John, and and the guys that I spent time with down there was like a who's who. I mean, my golly, it's like, you know, Gene Ford and Bob Straub at uh, uh, at uh, Saint Ed's, and and um, oh, I can go on a lot on this guys, but it was just it was just a great great opportunity to be around unbelievable high school coaches and share thoughts, and and like you said, it was. Uh, a learning experience. Steve Smith, you know, how about that guy? You know, yeah. being around him for for a week at a time, and ironically, here I am coaching um, camp with him for summers, and and enjoying Smitty and you know '92, who we play in the state final game is Orbo and Steve Smith. So, you know, it's, that was a unique experience as well. So, when you when you get through those things and you have the the early head coaching experience in baseball, and you start that process of searching for jobs, can you? I'm going to guess that it's not that hard to remember the emotions that you felt when you got that first opportunity to become a head coach. Can you talk about what that was like for you and how you set about kind of kind of building your plan, putting your staff together, having an offensive and a defensive philosophy? Where did you draw from uh, in in the rush of the excitement of getting that first job? Well, you know, that my first job was up in Northwest Ohio, way up in Williams County, Stryker High School. Uh, Stryker is a basketball community, man. I was, I, I was totally shocked that I was able to get that job. Uh, you know, Dan Klein was the guy I replaced. Dan Klein left Stryker to go to Indiana Tech as a head coach over in Fort Wayne at the collegiate level. Uh, been, a, been a longtime coach there at, uh, at Stryker and just had unbelievable success. So the program was in, in, in great shape as I took over. So that was that was a plus, number one. Um, so number two, it was just don't screw it up. You know, <laughs> do what you can not to, not to screw it up because it was it was such a good program. Again, this basketball, is, it was what they, they lived for up there. That's all they had. They didn't have football. So, you know, when November came around and basketball started getting going, man, the, the town uh, really supported you. And uh, it was a great, great experience. Um you know, we, uh, you know, day and age back then, the superintendent was a was a gentleman named Stan Schaefer who really, really treated me great. But, you know, he t- he came first year and he goes, I'm going to tell you what, Dave, you know, this team, 
might not be as you know, up to Dan's level in terms of what he's had to work with. And he said, matter of fact, if you can go even this year, if you can go 50-50, I think you have a heck of a year. I said, oh, well, I hope, hope we can do better than that. Hope we're better than that, yeah. If you say we can do that, uh, fine. Well, lo and behold, at the end of the season, we get in the district tournament and win a game and lose a game and uh, end up 12-12. So as back in those days, uh, John, there was no extracurricular pay schedules. You went in and it was like negotiating a car. Uh, <laughs> you went in and said, and say, uh, well, you know, you, you thought I did. If we go 12 and 12, you will have a good year. So that should, that should count for something. So I got a raise on the fact that he told me 12 and 12 would be a good year. And I was going to get a raise out of that. So that that's uh that's well played that's that's i i think that demonstrates some experience beyond what your years would have suggested coach that's if you, I, don't, I don't think too many guys get that chance but you know when you're experiencing that early on and i always in, in several of the podcasts i've tried to ask this you know you, you were a relatively young coach when you got your first head coaching opportunity and when you think back on your experiences as a player and you know working in in the colonel crawford system uh what was it like, you know, I, I use this analogy all the time. I can remember going to my first day as a teacher uh, when, when my career started and sitting down behind the desk of the classroom an hour and a half before the building really was even open and thinking, okay, I've had four years of college. Well, I had five years, but I got my four year, I got my four year degree. I did my student teaching and it was like all of a sudden I, it, it, the realization of I got to do this for real right now. And it's on me to, to do this and do this. Well, when you, reached that point and you were starting out that first time what was it like building your plan of how you wanted to defend or what you wanted to run offensively because I think sometimes coach young young guys can get caught up in there's so much out there to do and and I, I've said this on lots of podcasts I think it's it, it's coach Beeline says you can do anything you want in basketball but you can't do everything you want um, what was it like trying to narrow down what, your focus at both ends of the floor well you know, I guess the, the good thing was I, I I didn't have a lot of, of uh, you know, different thoughts other than I, I knew how we played in high school. I liked that style. Uh, the, the styles that uh, we played at Crawford, didn't know there was just a whole different uh, different coaching thing there. So I learned things on, on both ends. But I, I would kind of report it back to my to my Patrick Henry C. Kick days of, of the style of play. And. And, and certainly, uh, you know, when you go in, you like you like to do certain things. But obviously, even back then, I knew I was smart enough to figure out that you you, you got to tailor to your athletes and, and what you have in terms of talent. And, um, so we we were a team that you know just ran some motion and very basic motion, uh, nothing nothing fancy at all. Uh, had a few sets involved. Um, Played strong defense, mixed in a little zone, uh, tried to pressure you. So it wasn't a, a, a really sophisticated program, and and but that was no different than what you know, in somewhat what they were accustomed to. You know, Dan, Dan uh, did similar things. So I didn't really change up a, a lot any, anyway. So you know, what what fit them fit me, and and uh, we you know we had a good a good run there. We had four good years, and I was able to pile that into another job. So. So, so talk about that process. Getting through four years at Stryker, what was the what was the impetus behind making a decision to move on? Was it a, uh, was it you looking for something, or was it an opportunity that was presented to you? How did it come about that you made the move away from Stryker? You know, the, the thing that I loved about Stryker um, is that it was a community, true single community that loved 
their school and 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 their kids. Uh, I grew up in a consolidated school district, Patrick Henry. My first teaching job was Crawford, a consolidated school district. You know, and 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 those are they they have entities that sometimes can be you know they the three towns or how many towns or communities you know dive into that it can still have issues you know and and uh that wasn't the case of striker you had one unified unified uh, thing and so my goal was i'm looking for a job uh that had a, maybe a bigger community you know not not obviously striker was being a small community but find a larger school that was a a city and uh that you know, not a consolidation, and lo and behold, what I end up, I end up at a consolidation. So, my my my, my thought process was was good. It's just okay. I, I got the job back at, at Patrick Henry, and and uh, you know, I didn't know that. You know, actually, I remember when I was looking for jobs, I had six packets of information that I was sending out. There was five of them to five schools that were similar to what I just talked about, and then the sixth one was Patrick Henry, and I. I nailed the other five, and I hold on to the sixth one, and I hold on to it for about a week, and I finally nailed it. And uh, it turned out the other five got back to me. None of the five John had a, a teaching opening that fit me. So, you know, the Patrick Henry job uh, was was the opportunity, but they didn't have one either. You know, they, uh, you know, I did. I went down, had an interview with them. Uh, for one reason and one reason only, uh, their superintendent was a man by the name of Dan Ross. Yep. Dan Ross became the, you know, the, uh, I'll let you say, you know, executive director, you know, in a lot of years, but Dan was the superintendent of Patrick Henry, but he was also a well-known basketball official. And I had never had him, never met him, never had him as an official before. And I knew we were going to have him the following year at Stryker. So I said, well, at worst is going to come out of this, I'll at least meet this superintendent who is this basketball official, and I'll have a report with him before we have him next year. So uh, that was part of my reason to go interview. And then lo and behold, uh, he called me up about two weeks later and said, hey, come talk to me. And uh, so I do. And, and he says, you know, we've got uh, like to offer you the job. And I said, well, that's, that's interesting, but there's no teaching opening. He goes, well, we uh, have a counseling job open, and you've started your counseling degree. Uh, why don't we get you a year to, uh, to finish that degree up? We'll get you a temporary certification. And uh, I had that summer, the following school year, and the following summer to get my, my uh, master's degree done in counseling. And that was what got me going. And I said, I need a kick in the butt to, to get my master's done. And he gave it to me, plus an opportunity to, to come home and coach. So it was a win-win. Uh, outstanding and and I, I could there's dozens of questions I think I could ask about that route and, I, and now that you mentioned it I think honestly maybe the first time I do remember meeting you was because we were both doing some counseling things and uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be forever indebted to you for getting me out of the second half of some counseling functions so we could go find dockets or somebody else uh, to have conversations you'll, you'll never know what it what it, as a young coach what it was like to be able to say yep I don't really want to go to this this thing on on financial aid for the second half of it i'd rather go find coach dockage and visit in his office but those were those were good days those, those were good times good days good experiences but uh in in the three or four minutes we got left here before we need to take a break can you talk about the feeling you had going back to your own monitor was there any sense of pressure uh to, to live up to what coach kick had created or to, to to maybe an extra amount of pressure to win because you were a homegrown kid what, what was that like going back home um it, it really was a, a, 
I, I don't think any of that at all. I, uh, I was excited to go back. Um, I was tentative a little bit, you know, they, they know you as Dave. Um, but I was 10 years, I was 11 years removed. So some of that, uh, some of that was not necessarily the case. Uh, but a lot of the adults, you know, obviously the teaching staff was the same for the most part. So all these teachers that I had as, as a high school student were there and I had a hard time addressing them. I didn't know what to call them. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that was probably the biggest, biggest hurdle I had to find uh, and fight. Uh, but coming back home, uh, you know, there is an issue of, of, of people in the community, though, you know, well, I, I was dating them. I wasn't the coach, you know, and I had to, that got changed a little bit. You know, I had to change that mentality a little bit. And it, it, it happened eventually, but uh, I had no regrets uh, at that point. And, you know, I, I really thought I was going to be there for a few years. You know, and, and maybe make, make that one last move through that community, that larger community that we talked about, and, and make that uh, the final stop. But, uh, you know, lo and behold, 23 years later, uh, that's when I finally, uh, you know, closed the door to Patrick Henry. It is amazing how those things work out. And, and after a short break, Coach, I want to get into your 23 years at Patrick Henry. Specifically, I want to spend some time talking about 1992 and 1997 for obvious reasons. And then I really look forward in the second half of, of our podcast getting into your time at the University of Finley. So we'll, we'll take a short break, and we'll come back and, and, and kind of venture through your time at PH. Okay, perfect. Hey, I wanted to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement – has ended after four months, and I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm where you can donate to the podcast on a monthly basis, and it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to to gain from it and pay off some things, too, on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm. And uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. Uh, after you have that time uh, at Patrick Henry, and, and I don't know, I'm going to guess it was probably another eight or nine years after you won the state title, uh, give or take, that you stayed and coached at Patrick Henry. But that, that came to a close in 2006 uh, when you stepped down as the head coach there. And I've never asked you this question. I've never even done the background on it. What what was it about your time away from the high school game? Uh, what spurred your interest in getting involved in college coaching? Well, when I left Patrick Henry, uh, I had uh, one year left I remained on staff as a teacher. Uh, so that year was really fun. I went to all kinds of games, collegiately, high school, uh, made trips to wherever, and, and just had a lot of fun doing that. 
uh, even just the broadcasting. Dave Clegg was stupid enough to let me come do some <laughs> some color on some of his uh, broadcasts, and that was fun to, to kind of to try my hand at that, which I he's never asked me again. So obviously that's your time doing that. But, uh, uh, you know, I was kind of thought that I wasn't done coaching. I didn't know that I wanted to be a high school coach again, but if I did, fine. But I didn't expect that. I, I thought maybe I'd like to see if I can't hook up. There's so many good collegiate programs right in our area that I could probably jump in and help and associate myself with without trying to move and have to re- relocate. But uh, I, I obviously knew the Finley people. Uh, you mentioned Tony Heiser. Tony played there and, and uh, had a great career there. Uh, we went to camps there. I worked their camps. Uh, so I know I knew Coach Knee Camp and Coach you know Coach Ernst really really well and. And had a conversation with him one day, and just said, "Hey, if you ever need another pair of eyes, uh, I'd love to. I'd love to come work in your program, and 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 add, you know, if I could add value. Don't just think you have to bring me on to work buddies or whatever. If you think I can be helpful, I'd love to try to to do something to help your program." But I said, "You know what? I really miss." I, I just miss practice. I just miss going to practice. I miss being around guys and, and seeing them develop and, and helping them develop. And, you know, the games were fun, I, obviously, but uh, I just wanted to be in a practice situation where I could where I could help. And, and lo and behold, Coach Newcamp said, hey, well, come on along. And so uh, in 2008, 2009, uh, I was able to, to join their staff as a, a volunteer, obviously, and, and – uh, I picked a great year to weasel in because they they decided to go. Let's just go thirty six and zero and win the national championship. You know, so uh, you mean it wasn't like, you? You weren't the difference? No, I, I let Coach Newcamp. No, that was the only difference last year this year. So it must have been, but. Uh, well, what a team! Uh, what an experience that was to to work. In. I, I I tell the stories as honestly, God's truth, John. Day one of practice, and I've been around for some workouts and different things, but truly, day one of practice, a two-hour practice. Again, this team, you know, is is geared to do high things. And uh, I sat in the coach's office afterwards, and I'm we're sitting around dissecting things, and I just flippantly said, "Hey guys, I'm gonna just tell you right now." I saw more. I saw more dunks in a two-hour practice than I saw in 30 years of coaching where I coached it. So we we had some great athletes and some great players, and uh, boy, that was a fun, fun year. I I I don't know what else you could say about it. I mean, it. I, how about you can't get any better than 36 and 0 and winning a national t- winning a national title is legitimately for most people. Uh, it's a dream, and if you're lucky, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Certainly. Um, I would like to dig into a little bit about what, especially in those first few years at Finley, if anything stands out to you uh, that you would feel like was a learning experience as a coach. Well, certainly the, the the way I did things was totally backwards. You know, usually guys coach at a higher level possibly and then go get their own programs. You know, I, I do my own thing and then I jump in as assistant coach and, and I don't, I don't regret it. I, I, I thought it was a great thing to do, and, and uh, it was truly a learning experience. I learned tons at Finley. Uh, you know, Coach Ron Decamp is, is is phenomenal, a great communicator, uh, simplistic in, in a lot of things he does, but boy, did, would guys just run through the wall for him. You know, he, he let kids play and, and have freedom, and, and uh, they, they respected the heck out of him. You know, that was unbelievable. And the thing that that team in, uh, in 09 did uh, – they they trusted and loved the process of practice 
and and took that so seriously that that wasn't an accident of what they achieved. You know, they they understood the value of being in the gym and getting things done and competing every day in practice and how that was going to pay off, and, and it sure did. Yeah, they they were the epitome of that, and I've never been around another team uh, prior and or since, unfortunately, that uh, you know met met that level. And I'm I'm loving hearing you say that because, well, two things. Number one, you mentioned how much you missed practice. And anytime I've ever been away from coaching for a season, uh, any kind of coaching, whether I'm an assistant or a head coach, college, high school, whatever, anytime I've ever been away for a year, uh, in, in one case away for two years, uh, I miss practice and I miss the other coaches more than anything else. Um, and, and, and I also can recall in 93, uh, when when Ohio Northern won their Division Three national championship, what you just said about the players loving practice—that was really true about that team in '93, also. And it, it's it's interesting because I think you know you get to high levels of basketball, whether it's it's Division Three, college, Division Two, II, Division One, you you assume everybody loves the game, and they do. But it it is fairly rare to get a collection of young men or young women that love the process of practice because it is a grind over the course of four or five months uh, during the course of a season. But it's those groups, Dave, I think, that if they, the ones that love practice and embrace that and attack that every day that have a chance to be really special. Uh, I think that is very true. And then on top of that, this, this team had a leader that was phenomenal. I mean, this Josh Bostic was a, was a senior. He was the preseason player of the year in Division Two and the postseason player in Division Two. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, between the beginning of the season and the end of the season, there's one thing that he did that I've never seen anybody do, uh, again, prior or since. Um, fairly early into the season, we're talking now the actual playing season, he came up to me one day and says, Coach, what are you doing tomorrow at, uh, at 2.30? And I said, well, I'll be up here and we'll do whatever, you know. And he goes, well, I need your help. Can meet me on the floor at 2.30. So lo and behold, I come down at 2.30, and he walks out of the locker room, and he's got a weighted vest on. And he tells me what to do for him. I was just his guinea pig, and I just let him through some drills. And he worked for about a 40-minute period, just sweat dripping off, and he's going full speed, gain speed, etc. And he goes in after that. He goes in and, and changes showers and comes back for practice at 3.30. Wow. Now, he didn't just do that one time. He did it weekly. He did it through the season, and it was amazing. And uh, I tell I tell players all the time, if you want to know why this kid's player of the year and still playing professionally and making money today, well, that, there's a work ethic there that uh, that was pretty pretty hard to match. And if you can match that, uh, you know, that's big science. Coach, I have another question about your college experience because this is one that just always fascinates me for – for a guy who, who fancied himself as always being a high school coach before I got involved at the college ranks and a guy like yourself who had, you know, 27 years as a high school head coach. What, what was it like learning the recruiting ropes? <laughs> I was terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, luckily, luckily uh, that wasn't a main piece of my job. You know, luckily for Finley, that wasn't the main piece of my job. Uh, Dan Shardow, who went, once Charlie took the head job and, and he asked me to move, you know, move into the next role, I did. Dan moved into to Charlie's role. Uh, Dan was the head recruiter. Uh, certainly, I did. I went out and watched games. I, you know, I was uh, involved in, in evaluation of players, but truly, uh, you know, I didn't do any of the hands-on, yeah, you know, calling 
kids or you know that type of thing that was you know it was truly dan and charlie they wanted to be the two main voices to to to, to head that but um you know going out in the summers you know going to the various um, shootouts or you know the aau events and i'd come back and i'd have a handful of kids that i just fell in love with and they'd look dan look at my list and say well that's good that kid's got four d1 offers this kid's got six d1 offers this kid's you know and it, he says, Klaus, you're pretty good at picking out talent. I go, oh, yeah, I got good eyes for talent. You know? So, surely you had to find, obviously, the niches. And then Finley is a good example is, is finding kids um, who had D1 talent, but, you know, for whatever reason, will go D2. You know, maybe they're, they're okay with that level. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, they're a step slow, maybe a step small, you know. Not, don't have the heights or whatever the case may be, but there's reasons why kids drop and, and uh, D ones miss on them, and uh, it was it was our job to, to find that caliber. So that took me a few years to kind of really get a feel for you know the, the caliber of kid that we needed to focus on, rather than you know find the kids that all the all the D one guys are recruiting. Now I I go to these AAU events and I sit around and I say okay. Who's here? Who's watching this this team play? And if I didn't see any D one players, I'm thinking, okay, I probably got a chance at this guy. We got a chance. And then if, if more D one coaches showed up, I said, well, I'm probably the wrong. I'm at the wrong court, you know. So, you know, it's, you just learned, and it became better as a, as the years went by. But uh, you know, again, uh, thankfully, thankfully for Sunday's sake, uh, Dan and, and Charlie are experts at that. So. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you shared that because I can remember those experiences that even though it was a Division three level, first time I went out in the summer or the spring to watch kids and not knowing who they were. And again, same thing. I'd always kind of check kids and mark them and think, you know, maybe I'm finding a, a, a guy we can get in on and then find out he's going to go D2 or find out he's got some, some lower level D1 interest. And I'm thinking, well, I guess he's probably not coming to Bluffton then uh, or, or Ohio Northern. That, that was a uh, it's a process too. Now, coach, I, I believe this, and I, and I say this about most of the coaches that that coached in your era. Um, I, I think what you experienced going from high school for the length of time that you did it to college had to be a, a, a fascinating part of your journey. But even more so than that, I think what you experienced from the time you became a high school head coach in the late 70s or early 80s until you stepped away from the game at the University of Finley after this past season, I'm not sure the game of basketball ever changed as much in the history of the game as it changed in this last 15 to 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about the, the X's and O's and, and, and style of play differences that you see now? And what are some things that you really like about it versus maybe what are some things that, that, that you're not as fond of? Well, First and foremost, I'm a big proponent of the shot clock. You know, I would love to see that in high school basketball. And I have friends who coach at the high school level, and they think it'd be the death of the game. And and I'm and I would just totally be contrary to that. I think it's it would be awesome for the game. You know, I just think that the 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 play would be better, and and uh, I think the kids would enjoy it. I think the fans would enjoy it. Uh, there's a lot of pluses to me for the 30 second clock, uh, and, and you know, or, or not be 30 seconds. You know, some shot clock of some sort. Uh, you know, I, I hear the disadvantages. It's going to cost too much, or we don't have the personnel to run it. And I said, you know, the cost too much. And I've been on every football field in Ohio, and it's not even a rule to have a a 25 second clock, and they all have them. 
right. You know, so don't tell me there's a, a financial crunch. If, if we can, if they don't, if they can have them for football, uh, when they don't have a rule for it, we can surely have a rule. If there's a rule, we can have them. But I, I really think that'd be a plus. The second thing I like is, is, is the circle in the lane, you know, the, um, uh, the straining line, the, the, for the charges and blocks. I think right. that is a plus. I think that's needed at the high school level. Uh, I think that's a great addition to the game and, and it helps officials out and it helps defenders out. It helps everybody out. Um, so I think that's a plus. I'd love to see that. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, I don't know. I don't see a lot of changes. You know, the, the three-point shots moving back uh, has moved back now to the feeble rule. Um, there's talk more about at the collegiate level going, um, you know, to to potentially going to quarters uh, like FIBA does. Uh, you know, college men's college basketball is the only only uh, level of play that we have still have set in, in the world for that matter. But uh, um, you know, that's a collegiate issue. Uh, from a high school standpoint, I I think the game's fine. I, I wouldn't mind uh, being a proponent for the shot clock and and the the uh, the arc and the length. Do, do you feel like there's a a certain benefit to, or do you have any concern about it? Just coach, it feels like everybody's kind of playing the same way now. It feels like uh, not yeah. not with no exceptions, but with few exceptions, it feels like at almost every level of the game now, people are going to race it up, have the court space, usually five out, certainly four out at, at a minimum. And, and the analytics are what they are. They're not going anywhere. So, it, you know, the three-point shot is not only uh, a part of the game, it, it, it is like it, it's a centerpiece of the game today, and everything kind of kind of plays off of that. If you went back to, to restart your coaching career in the era that we're in right now, um, do you feel like you would coach teams differently or drastically differently than you did maybe even in, in the mid to late 90s? Um, that's a good question. I, I think that – the evolution of the game, John, uh, as you're referring to, the, the three-point shot has certainly played a huge role in it. And, and you know, getting getting those looks on the perimeter, uh, you know, teams are, are spreading you out, trying to break you down, getting to the lane, kickouts, you know, all those things, you know, are, are so big. You know, in, in, in the game today, and it, it starts with it starts with the pro game, but uh, and, and trickles down, and and, and and possibly, you know, if if somebody was going to be anti-shot clock, that might be a reason why, you know, they would not want the shot clock. And yeah, I, I see it, and I understand what they're coming from. I, I just think the game, while evolving, you know, game basketball is a game of trends. You know, what's trending now? You know, well. We all will try this, and we'll all try that, and it's it's just a matter of a coach, you know, gaining his own philosophy, his or her philosophy. I, I like this style uh, for whatever reason. This fits me. This fits. I can coach it. I know it. Um, you know, I think that's as big as anything. You know, being coaches that, you know, you know, being able to know what you teach, you know, and, and believe in it, and you can you can sell it to anybody. You know, as long as you believe it, you can sell it, and your your, your team will buy into it. And, you know, well, however style of play that is. You want to play fast, play fast. You want to play slow, play slow. But, again, be a believer in it and sell it. And, you know, uh, I think that will be a, a, a key to anybody's success. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that, the, the, the belief in it and, and teaching what you know, because while I'm saying that it feels like everybody plays the same way, don't that doesn't mean I don't remember that Virginia won a national title 
uh, not playing that way. It doesn't mean that I don't remember that Texas Tech, you know, made a made a deep run necessarily not playing that way. I know there are. It just feels like the exception rather than the rule sometimes. But uh, again, I you know, young coaches, maybe even developing coaches that are uh, listeners to the podcast. I don't think we can too often get the message out there that teaching what you know and being who you are uh, and, and, and getting buy in to, to, to your vision is really what coaching is all about anyway. And, um, you know, the one, yeah, the one thing I, I, I would take that a step further uh, in my latter years at Patrick Henry, you know, we were so, we were so, we had so many sets. I have a, a play sheet that was pretty, pretty lengthy with play sets. And, and part of that was because of the program concept, you know, the seventh graders taught these six for, you know, these, these six or seven uh, plays. And then they added six or seven more to eighth grade. Level. So it was just continuing. And so by the time they got to the high school level, I mean, we didn't change the terminology. It was all the same thing. It was even the same signal. Uh, but when we, you know, football became really big here. And and we had to start the season later and later and later. And, and uh, so I said, well, let's, let's take advantage of that. You know, so what we ended up doing, and it was helpful to us, we used uh, the football quarterback um, wristbands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and we had plays on our wristbands. And so I could just yell out a color and a number and kids look at a wristband and we were running that play. All right. And, and it, it was fun. It kind of, kind of took them, you know, with their football background a little bit. Now they love football and they, now they all can be where the quarterback wristband, not just, you know, I, I was a receiver. I was a, uh, a left tackle. I don't get to wear a wristband. So now they all got to wear wristbands. And, and if I was going back to a program today, I would do that in a heartbeat. I think kids got a lot of a lot of fun out of it, and, and you know, really was able to in practice. You could run your stuff because the JVs or your second team, wherever you're playing, they don't have the wristbands, and so you can run your stuff and and execute without the other team knowing it. And that's going to happen in game now. You know, when I was calling out whatever uh, the opponents, the coach, they well, here comes whatever, you know. And uh, but now I call out red eleven, and they had no clue what the red eleven was or blue 22 or you know whatever the color we're using but uh, you know things like that i think uh you know all coaches have little things that they adopt and adjust to and, and have fun with and you know that made that made it fresh for me and our guys and uh it was a that's a good thing but again i'd go back to a heartbeat I, I love that you mentioned that because i've always you know when i was a young coach and getting started uh, was in that mid '90s period, and and Steve Williman and you were the two guys that ran a ton of sets that I that I knew that I watched. I mean, I know Rob ran a ton of sets at Winford, and there were guys that did. But but I competed against Steve, and obviously watched your teams play. And and I was always curious about the evolution of of calling sets because just in my experience competing with Liberty Benton, like they had verbals and they had visuals, and then they went to the to the to the signs. You know, the they they yeah. just show them yeah. the deal, and then toward the end of Steve's time at Liberty, they went to where they would on, on a dead ball, they might call three or four possessions uh, at once, you know, so they knew what their sequence was going to be, which made it a little bit tougher to scout. But what you just described sounds almost like a borderline, a foolproof way to protect uh, your, your scouting advantage or, or take away the advantage scouts might have, because what, what was a number 11 play on the wristband on Friday night might be moved to number 17 play uh, or or number two play on, on Saturday night if you chose to do it that way. Um, well, we did it. We took it a step further. We uh, we changed every band at every quarter. So <laughs> on, on the second quarter we had no set of bands, and so the, you know what was what was play eleven now was play four. You know it was just 
was the whole thing. It was it was really good. Uh, and we did the same thing you're talking about with what Steve did. You know, we you know we ran that motion offense. I kind of knew it. You know, we would we would just run it and run it. We would. I'd stamp. I'd get up and I'd, I'd stamp my foot and I say reset it. Like I'm mad. And, Come on, run it better. Reset it. Well, reset meant we had a play set. Right. Reset meant we had uh, a sequence of plays, and maybe it was maybe it was an acronym called CAT. So the first one was corner, the second one was away, the third one was triple. So the first time we ran reset was CAT. The second time we ran reset was was away. The third time was triple. You know, so it was automatic. And we just not much foot, say reset, and they knew there was a special there was a play on. So there's a lot of things you can do if you want to get creative and, and think about it. And again, I think that keeps kids fresh. Um, I don't think you overload them. I think if you teach it well, and and, and again, you, they believe in it, and you get success with it, uh, you, you can sell it. Well, coach, I, I hope you enjoyed. Two things, going down memory lane, number one, and, and number two, uh, just just talking about some of the things that were a part of your experience, I, you know, I hope has, has, has been something you've enjoyed. But more than anything else, it's made me realize that I get sad when guys that, that belong in coaching get out of it. We all get out of it at some point. And uh, it just I've said this before. I, I, it must mean that I've gotten old, coach. I mean, I went from being a young coach to an old one pretty damn fast. But I just there, there's a lot of good guys getting out of it. I mean, it doesn't take anything away. Young coaches are coming along, and it's sure. it's become a very young man's game at the high school level. But um, it, it always just saddens me a little bit when guys that are just really really good and true basketball junkies get out of it. I I know you've got a, a, a life ahead of you that's just filled with grandkids and and travel plans and being where it's warm sometimes when the rest of us can't be. And I, I just <laughs> I want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, and hopefully we can keep in touch down the road here. Well, John, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed listening to to your prior discussions with various guys, and uh, I, I think you're doing a fantastic job. And and with your new announcement of, of becoming the the coach of data, I think uh, like I alluded to earlier, I think it's just, it's great for those kids. They're going to be uh, influenced by a, a guy who has a great passion for the game, and uh, I wish you the best means more to me than you'll ever know coach i can promise you that uh, thank you again and, and again just best to you and your family and we'll talk soon all right john take care so coach Krause, you we, we had just touched on talk a little bit about your your coming into patrick henry and kind of how you viewed uh the job and, and how fortunate you were to be there particularly in the non-coaching portion of your contract what i want to touch on a little bit because i mean those of us who watched your teams play know you know, what your style of play was, was fairly consistent over your time at Patrick Henry. Obviously, you made some changes to fit your personnel uh, over time from here, you know, from year to year. But by and large, you, you had a style of play. Can you can you think of anything about your time, especially in your early years at Patrick Henry, that you where you did change uh, as a coach if you compared it to your, your first four years at Stryker, let's say? Well, the, the, the thing that as we started, you know, I don't know that we changed a lot, but we did make a huge change, uh, probably late eighties, uh, after three or four years there, um, you know, back, what was both then, you know, a lot of motion, a lot of flex, a lot of things of that nature, uh, was what everybody was doing. And, and, um, you know, I, I went, you know, I, I know you've talked with other people on here about, uh, uh, the, the Van Wert offense, Keith Noss, and, and what they ran in the continuity. And, you know, we ran that to death. I saw 
saw him play it. I went down and met with Keith. We spent a lot of time together. He shared the ins and outs of the whole thing with me. And I said, you know what? I love, I love what this thing does. And when we put that in, um, it changed our whole program because now we were able to, to run that as our base offense. Uh, I was never very good teaching motion. I was, I, I didn't think I had the time to do it right. And I just shortchanged it and didn't feel as a fit for, you know, and I didn't know it as well, even though I tried to do it, I still didn't get good at it or feel comfortable teaching it. Uh, but when we got this little uh, Van Wert thing going, we, we were really sophisticated in what we called it. We called it man. It was a man <laughs> offense, and we called it man. And that's how sophisticated uh, my thought process is. Um, but it changed us. You know, I, and then we just ran with it. We ran sets out of it. We ran sets for our best players. We tried to attack uh, the best weaknesses we could find uh, in the opponent's defenses. And, you know, through – through that man offense, through the a variety of sets, uh, running up and down the floor, and, and you know putting pressure on people and playing good solid defense, you know it became a good staple. Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it because you you said it in, in Northwest Ohio in particular. Everybody was familiar with with, with Coach Knopf's continuity offense, but everybody who who everybody that I know that ran it, you know, obviously you have the base pattern you got to run, but everybody kind of put their own little special twists on or they ran different specials out of it and and I think that's what made it unique was that you had so much it, it was a base continuity offense but you had a lot of potential for freedom and, and really creativity uh within the structure of the offense and I, I've heard so many guys talk recently about uh good offensive basketball is freedom within structure and, and I think that offense really gives you that mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a versatile thing you know you're all five, all five spots move. Um, have the opportunity to move from side to side. You can, like I said, you could. We had so many, we had so much fun with it. You know, like that. and we we taught it all the way down to seventh grade. So, you know, we had kids running man offense at seventh graders, and and uh, you know, the time they got to high school, we could really tweak different things, and and uh, you know, that that was really the big thing I probably took from Stryker to and, and what Dan had instilled over there. To Patrick Henry was just the whole program concept, you know, that, you know, what I inherited that Patrick Henry, it was just a high school program for the most part, you know, we made it, uh, you know, uh, we started a mini program and, and uh, started the third grade and, and moved it all the way up and, and took control of it. And, and uh, you know, that, that to me got, got the juices flowing at a young age, like, like you're supposed to and, and get kids juice up about it. And, and, uh, and I, I enjoy it. Saturday mornings for me were a joy. I don't care what happened on Friday night, win, lose, or whatever. You know, give me two hours with those third and fourth graders and fifth and sixth graders an hour each on Saturday morning. Uh, boy, I was refreshed after that. You know, and our players helped with that. And, you know, that was a, a thing that I really, really enjoyed. And, Coach, I'm so glad you said that. I, I, I just – I felt like there's been a shift in the last 15 to 20 years – and I won't say everybody, maybe even not a majority, but it feels like more coaches than not at, at times now, they look at that elementary program and that feeder program, particularly if it's a Saturday morning program, it, it's almost like a necessary evil. And, and, and guys, almost it's become drudgery uh, to, to some guys. And that's too bad because really that's the lifeblood of your program. 
And, and I've said this for a long time. If, if third and fourth grade kids being excited about basketball can't lift you up after a loss, you might be doing the wrong thing. Yeah, no, it was it was something I I enjoyed immensely. Uh, it's funny our players got into it a lot too. You know, if if you, I, I'll get with our players now, and, and uh, obviously they're they're adults and have their own families, but uh, we'll get talking stories, and you know, somebody will bring up mini pictures, and uh, and somebody will remember their. You know, invariably they'll say, "Well, I was in fifth grade, or I was in sixth grade." So and so was my coach. They remember they remember the players who coached them in many pages. That's <laughs> how it. that's how much of impact it made. You know, and that's that's uh, that's a fun thing I hear those guys talk about that. No question whatsoever. So you you're you're there. You know, for I don't know what it was, five, six, seven years ish. Um, and you you had two teams uh, make it down to Columbus in your time at Patrick Henry. The first year was 1992, and we'll, we'll get into to, to both years a little bit. But I don't remember it well enough. I, I was I was in college at the time and kind of wrapped up in the program at Northern, and I remember seeing your, your team play. Uh, let, let's replay a little bit of that, if you don't mind, kind of going down memory lane. When you entered, when you entered that season, 91-92, were, were, were there that kind of expectations for you entering that year? Um, no. Uh, matter of fact, Patrick Henry has as much success as that program has had through beginning of the program from 1970 on. Uh, tournament success was not not anything that they had experienced, um, and I'm talking about uh, very few chances of it even winning sectional titles. You know, um, so you know, Steve Kick had great teams. I played on some great teams. We were never able to get out of the sectional. Uh, the year I graduate. Uh, the following year, they go undefeated and get beaten the first game in the district. Uh, so they just had great basketball teams, but just snaked it when it came to tournament time. You know, just they couldn't get over that hump. So we had no expectations when it came to uh, what what was going to transpire in '92. Uh, matter of fact, you know, we were we were four and six at one point in that season. Um, and I I pick up the paper and I read and I'm looking at. Uh, the scores on a Sunday morning, I see Orville, who in the last prior two or yeah, two or three years were Division Two and in the state tournament at Division Two, now had dropped down to Division Three, and they are just pasting people uh, left and right. Here they beat Cleveland, whoever, on Saturday night by whatever. And I, I just picked up the paper. We're four and six, and I say, oh my golly, don't even have the Division Three state tournament. Just give the trophy to Orville right now. Make Smitty happy. Uh, because they're going to just embarrass the heck out of somebody in St. John Arena on that Saturday. And lo and behold, we go 16 straight more games and we're playing them in the state final. You know, so it's just crazy how that all transpired. You know, so we won our first district tournament. Uh, we won our first regional tournament. We won a, won a, won a game in Columbus and, and, and played for the state championship. Do you remember anything about that run of 16 straight or just before that that you feel like you could point to as a big part of the turnaround? Well, the biggest turnaround was we had a kid who was our best player uh, get injured in game one. You know, so that so that we missed him for like six or seven games in that stretch. And so when you're playing, you're, you know, obviously at our level, you, you miss him. And But it, that really was a blessing in disguise because what it enabled us to do is learn to play without him, number one. Number two, even though we were four and six coming out of that whole mess, um, you know, the, uh, the depth, we got better, you know, our, we had to play guys and develop depth and, and that 
that really, as we move forward the rest of the season, uh, the kid I'm talking about is Ken Seaman, who was uh, a fine player uh, for us, obviously. He's still in the state tournament, uh, state program. He still holds the most points in a state tournament game at Division three level, 38 points in a semifinal game. Uh, he was just phenomenal as we went down the stretch. And just, you know, you need a bucket, give it to Kent, you know, give it to Kent. And, and we obviously had some good talent around him, but, uh, you know, he, you know, Kent went on to play at Defiance College. And then ironically, Kent was the kid who replaced me when I left Patrick Henry. He became the head coach there. So, you know, we, he and I have a special bond too. But uh, truly, it was just a remarkable, a remarkable run. Um, you know, we had to, in the regional final game, we had the regional tournament. We had to play a new London team who had been in the regional and everybody back. And we, we, we played a great game against them at Toledo. And then the following, you know, the final game was against Wayne Trace, defending state champion, Coach Al Welch, who was a super guy and a super coach. Robbie Welch was a junior yet. And, and it was a great, a great game, but we were able to pull it out in advance. So what a, that day there was stuck in my memory forever. I would certainly assume so, and I'm going to guess something else that's going to stick in your memory forever, or maybe even longer, if that's possible. Is and I'll say this: probably the the most poignant moment that I can remember from my early coaching career, and really even since then, I happened to to get my head coaching career started in '95, '96, and so the '96, '97 year. It uh, was a pretty good year for the for the program that I was coaching at Ada at the time. We we won 16 games and 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 had won four the previous year. And I remember going down to the state tournament that year, kind of at 24 or 25, whatever I was, thinking, you know, I, this is what I think I want to do. If if we can if we can stay solid and and get better, you know, maybe one of these days get down here because your your program was kind of the the model. And specifically that year, I can remember thinking to myself. I can't imagine a better feeling than getting to Columbus and and, and coaching your son uh, in that environment. So I, 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 if, if you want to get into that memory, I'd love to. And, and really what I'd like to hear you talk about is anything that you gained from the 92 experience that you felt like impacted you in 97. Well, that alone was a huge impact. Uh, what that taught our program and the kids in our program and for all sports, basically, you know, Patrick Henry since then has won a football state championship. They won a baseball state championship, but the 92 team, though they didn't win the, the actual gold trophy, they broke the door down. You know, they were the ones who set the bar and say, Hey, we're just normal kids from Henry County, Ohio, that we're able to put something special together. And if we can do it, it's, it's just done. It's been done and you can do it. And I had a coach tell me one time before, um, Perry Reese, who was a longtime coach down at Berlin Highland, no longer with us. And what a great guy. But he says, coach, once you break the door down, it's going to happen again because your, your community and your kids get hungry. And, uh, you know, he proved to be right because five years later with a whole different group, uh, you know, we, we were able to set that thing back in motion. Uh, now, if you ask me, if you ask me, the, did we have expectations going into the last season? Definitely we did. Uh, we, we returned everybody from a team that had won 17 games the prior year and got beat in the district final by, lo and behold, my brother's team, who was undefeated that year. Um, so, you know, they went to the state final game in 96. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we had a we knew we were going to have a, a really good team, and with with expectations, state tournament thing, you know, everything had to fall together. You know, we had to stay healthy, had to get breaks, all those things that we talk about cliche wise. But you know, yeah, we we expected that. You know, one funny thing about that year though, going into the season, John, uh, I, I I heard your Brandon Pardon uh, discussion uh, earlier, uh, one of your prior discussions, and you know. They had great teams, those 96 and 97 as well, obviously. And uh, we scrimmaged them that year. Uh, so here we are scrimmaging Lincoln View, Patrick Henry, and uh, a third team, Anthony Wayne, coached by your friend Blake Kindle. Absolutely. Uh, and and they, we had scrimmage for preseason. And uh, I always laugh. I see Blake every once in a while, and he'll just shake his head and go, Well, no wonder we didn't win any quarters that day. We played two state champions, you know. So, <laughs> Well, and certainly uh, he and I have reflected on that a lot. Actually, the, the, the one time we got together that year, uh, I, I was coaching at Ada. He was at Anthony Wayne. But I, I, if I remember right, you guys played at Kaleida that year, right? Um, yeah, but, um, I, we might have played at home at Kaleida. Okay, I, just remember, I, I remember seeing That's you guys my, play. That was one of my losses, yeah. Yeah, because, well, I, my, my memory of that game was they, they were in a zone, I think, the first possession, and you guys ran a lob play that, that I thought the rim was coming out of the ceiling. I, uh, one of the ki- one of your kids, maybe Heiser, one of those kids went up and grabbed it with two hands and slammed it so hard I, I couldn't believe it. But, um, you know, we've talked a lot about that year, Blake and I have, because of, of where we were in our coaching careers. And, obviously, we've both reflected on the value and the, the, the blessing it is to win it with your son. Um, I want to get into your, your university of Finley time and we will, but if you wouldn't mind just talking about, uh, what you experienced in the closing moments of that state title game with your son as your point guard. Well, that, that whole weekend, um, I mean, even it goes back to prior weekend, the regional final game, uh, it was, we had to play an unbelievable Ontario team who I think had lost one or two games and they were loaded. I mean, Joe had one of his better teams and, and, uh, you know, we're in about the fourth quarter and, and we're down seven points and, you know, we, we just kept luck, the lucky, the, the advantage we had in that single game, that regional final game was the fact that we still had fouls to give, you know, so we were able to get really aggressive on defense knock away a couple balls, you know, and, and, and lo and behold, we hit a couple threes finally. And, and, uh, Chris Gerken makes their game when he shot for us. And, and we, you know, we, we, we advanced and, and that still was a unbelievable game, uh, that we had to win to get to Columbus. Our first game in Columbus, we play, uh, uh, big Christian team, uh, really, really up temple team. I mean, this team ran, 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 pressed and boy, they were, they were just fun to watch, but not necessarily fun to prepare for. <laughs> they were led by like a six, eight kid, uh, Yante Holland, that played Dayton and uh, a very good talent. So we decided, you know, I, I always thought you attack, you attack pressure with pressure, you know. So we, we said, we're not going to slow it down. We're going to go at them and just run them, you know, and, and see what happened. And, and sure enough, uh, it was a track meet, you know, and we ended up. Wouldn't have gotten out of their zone or their, their press because their coach said later nobody's ever done that to them. You know, we were able to just get ball bounds and, and partly because we had a good point guard and a kid that I trusted a lot. And, and uh, you know, Kyle was able to advance the ball through the pressure. And, you know, yeah, we had turnovers, but the turnovers didn't lead to points. You know, the turnovers were, 
you know, uh, dead ball turnovers or things like that. So fortunately, we, you know, we just just kept attacking. And uh, that was really our MO. And we just, you know, kids would always come back to the huddle, attack, attack, attack. And, you know, that was really uh, something we really kind of banged on them. And we win that game. And, uh, you know, our, our Brian Heber, who is now the coach of Patrick Henry, uh, uh, was a junior that year. He he uh, he's in the state tournament record uh, tournament book as well. He had, he was like 14 for 14 from the foul line in that in that semifinal game. So, you know, we had a good foul shooting coach for sure. Um, <laughs> but then our, our final game was against uh, Villanueva St. Joe. You know, uh, what a storied program that is. You know, and and uh, you know they've been down there in all divisions, and, and now they're a Division three school, and they had the Player of the Year in Division three. We went on to a Division one scholarship and. Uh, boy, they had beaten uh, Bel Air uh, Bel Three then in the first in the first round, and you know we knew we had our hands full. The one thing concern we had, John, is that that was before they made the Division One game the last game. Right. So that yeah. was one I guess final year because our game was on the semifinal game. We were we were game eight. We were the last game on Friday night. Yeah. So by the time we win, get our media stuff done, and get the kids back to the hotel, man, it's like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, we just wanted to get him to sleep. So we really were low key on the next day. We had a shoot around. We had a shoot around outside in the in the courtyard at the hotel. We didn't want to get him in a in a bus and take him somewhere. We just really wanted to have the freshest legs as possible, and too many we were going to be up against it. And sure enough, we came out and and played really well, got a lead, and then they came back and came took a lead, and it was back and forth in the last minute. Boy, we made a, a steal. Uh, it's still, it's still kind of a hollowed play in our in our tradition here. It's called the steal by Todd Smith, and uh, he he makes a game winning layup uh, with about 20 seconds to go, and we had to withstand a, a barrage of last second shots. To, and they actually one goes in, but they wave it off, and uh, you know, controversial possibly, but they they gave us a trophy, and we are darn happy and. And uh, yeah, we had a, my son and I had a great embrace, and we got, got a great picture of that. And uh, it's a memory that we share together for sure. I, I just I can barely imagine what that had to be like. And and then you know you and I talked before we started recording. Then you were fortunate enough after that to to coach your other two sons. Um, and and you you shared with me a little bit if if, if you're comfortable sharing that there was some learning that went through you know kind of having a. A, a quote unquote trial run <laughs> with Kyle that you, yeah. you, you kind of, you kind of felt like you were maybe a little better equipped to, uh, to, to, to coach your next two sons. Well, I, I, no doubt. I think any coach who's gone through that would tell you the same thing. You know, you, 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 you got to separate the dad and the coach. And uh, there were some times when I was coaching him, I was dad and that's not a good thing. You know, sometimes, you know, and, and uh, where I would just, just lose it. And, and I just had to, yeah, I would I would tell myself, well, I'm okay. I'm a head coach. I can do this. But you know, I, I had to be straightened out a little bit. And, my, and and Jenny, my wife, was probably as instrumental in straightening me out as anybody. And uh, you know, she pointed out one time that hey, I don't think you treat anybody else that way. And I said, well, you're probably right. So you know, she was she was instrumental in me uh, changing my way, so to speak, and and uh, trying to get better at that. But uh, hey, it was. I, I I have no regrets coaching all three of them. Uh, some of the best times of my life. You know, you know, we we were pretty fortunate. Uh, Jenny and I say we're with a trifecta athletic parents, meaning that all three kids went on to college, uh, played 
all different sports. Kyle went to Wittenberg, played basketball, had a so like basketball at D3 school. Eric goes to Finley, plays football at a D2 school. Martin plays baseball at a D1 school. So we have all three sports, all three divisions in terms of classification. So, but we had a, they gave us a great time to, to be parents as well moving forward. So it was, uh, you know, a, a lot of fun. I, I can't, again, just hearing you describe that and, and the level of pride you must feel is, I don't know, I, it's, it's got to be a really special feeling to have experienced what you did as their coach, but then to watch them take the lessons they learned and the life lessons and translate them into uh, success in higher education and then establish themselves with careers after uh, athletic careers. We could, we could spend a whole podcast coach on, on the value of athletic careers in college. I, I think it's, I think it's tremendously valuable if a, if a student athlete can finish four years in an athletic program at the college level, I think that what it does for them in preparation for what's ahead is almost hard to put a value on. Yeah, that's for sure. It's, uh, like I said, uh, the experiences that uh, they provided us, you know, have been just loads of fun. The people that we've met through their collegiate years, uh, we're still still very close with. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe, and if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook, that's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0, anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.